0: Our podcast this week Ruddy bloody Luke Evans Pops by once again To talk the girl on the train Plus we have the director Of American Honey Andrea Arnold And as all the usual News and nonsense On the movie podcast It is right up against The deadline at the moment So didn't have time To finish this bit of the script So Insert your own witty line Here
1: (laughs) That bit of the script Usually has a witty line um, okay.
0: You have caught me in my lie. The grand deception. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, and I didn't have time to finish their intros either. Anyway, uh, first up is uh, our resident West Wing devotee. Uh, he's a man who likes to watch the West Wing. That's as good as you're going to get, James Dyer, quite frankly.
2: We're off to a good start, aren't we? <laughs> We're off to a cracker. Excellent.
0: I was going to say something about the American election, but um, you know, people don't like it when we get political, dealing on the Empire? Podcast, you know, oh, so oh,
1: it's so depressing.
0: You know that is so true. It is depressing. Well, the Empire Podcast or the American, yeah, so, yes, election. the
1: podcast. Mostly. Both of these
0: things. <laughs> yeah, I would call you the Donald Trump. If you ever wore a really bad wig, you could be the Donald Trump I'm because you have the inconsistent opinions. You have the,
2: you know. The fascism no, you have know, no, all the I'm things not, I do not possess movie fascism this is unfair I not say Am movie I? fascism no, i right. Okay. just a general rigor. fascist right thanks. You've, thanks you've already insulted me we've been here what one minute it's going well so to, back on the podcast actually it's a lot quicker
0: than
1: that that's it. not even a record
2: <laughs> next up on the podcast is our geek
0: queen a lady who likes to blank in her blank when she sees Sam and Dean with blank on it's Helen
1: O'Hara. I don't, I don't even know. What <laughs> Fill in words the blanks. We, no, no. <laughs> okay, right.
0: okay. Uh, well, anyway, thank you for listening to this uh, even more shambolic than usual Empire podcast. Um, this week's question comes from at M Lomas 1988, and uh, it's a reference to uh, a football manager who recently lost his job in rather contentious circumstances. But the question is, what's the best film sacking? The best instance of someone being fired? on the big screen
2: there's only one answer to this question really Dick Jones (laughs) (laughs) the only way it's got to be I work for Dick Jones Dick Jones (laughs) yes Dick you're fired and then out the window that's it yeah (laughs) OCP
1: yeah I need a top day (laughs) job. that's
2: how they do
0: it here at Bauer
1: (laughs) that's true Mm. Um, we're
0: only in the third floor thank god
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh In a similar vein, can can I refer to uh, True Lies? Well oh. you're fired technically
3: speaking <laughs> it, no, technically a firing
1: work,
2: he doesn't work for Arnold <laughs> <I> Schwarzenegger <us>. think <laughs> you'll <laughs> find sand spider does not work for Harry Tasker
1: <laughs> Helen I know I just like it
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes it is great and he fires him through a building through
1: as well. a building into, into a helicopter. helicopter full of terrorists yeah. 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 you know
2: what that's how we should do things here <laughs> Yeah. He
0: never gets see, it. note
1: to Tr- self Trumpism coming through James <laughs> see Yeah, I tell you it's all you, like, put a,
4: um,
2: you put a terrible syrup in that man's head <laughs> I'm speaking of fascism. I'm going to go with Fight Club also. The, uh, it's kind of a firing, kind of a resignation, kind of a beating himself to a pulp scene. But that's a, that's a pretty good end of employment line, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder how many that's people thorough. have actually tried that since someone tried it with me once it didn't go down well
1: <laughs> <laughs> James martial art training came in handy at last
0: yes I saved them from beating themselves by <laughs> by beating them uh, basically this is there, there's, there's tons, and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and people
2: will write in and they'll yell at us for missing stuff um, but, um, but um, Glen Gary Glen Ross Glen Gary Glenn Ross yes Alec Baldwin because he starts off by saying the good news you're all fired and then you have, you have whatever it is to get your jobs back that's that's a good one
0: mm. that is what I was going to say It's not. It's not. You had a different one. I love that film though. I I love that speech. Do you know that speech isn't in the play? I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, It isn't in the play and uh, it was written specially for the film by David Mamet. And um, yeah, it's fascinating. And whenever... Uh, James Foley I spoke to the director James Foley about that movie I love Glenn, Garry, Glenn Ross and he said that whenever Alec Boltman came in to do his scenes that the other guys they'd been filming for some time and they almost saw him as Blake his character and so they, they shunned him at the craft <laughs> services table and they just gave him the cold shoulder uh, what's interesting about that of course is he never actually has any scenes with uh, Al Pacino but there you go but yeah if you go and see Glenn, Garry, Glenn Ross on the, uh, on the stage you do not get to see that scene no to sell Don't ever go and see it On the stage <laughs> well, I wonder if any Productions ever Would add it in
1: Why would you not I think it amps up The tension doesn't mm-hmm. it amps, amps up the stakes
0: And what a role For an actor Oh yeah My god I mean Baldwin
1: <gasps> Although you would Have to sit around Then for an hour Every night Waiting for curtain your Current call, call.
0: <laughs> I watched uh, Recently I saw The Lion King On the stage In the West End yeah. And there's a point Where little Simba mm-hmm. Little kid playing Simba Who's on stage For loads and loads And loads yeah. of time it, Goes off, exit stage left, Pursuit. not pursued by bear. Oh
1: no! Well, there are no bears in the savannah
0: This is true. Like, yeah, like realism is clearly <laughs> a huge point for The Lion King. And then immediately on bounds, adult Simba, who yeah. has been trained by Rada, and um, uh, and at the end, I noticed that little Simba doesn't take a curtain call because presumably has passed his his bedtime. Mm. So I, you know, I would like that if I, if you played the Blake role in a Macaulay Ross, do your speech, bugger off down the pub, there you go. Happy. Wow, it's such a preferred role though you could probably take a curtain call as you left the stage
1: <laughs> yeah just like
0: go out yeah, arms
1: held yeah, high yeah. milking it
0: <laughs> drop a mic literally be amazing um, I'm going to mention three more very very quickly uh, that just popped into my head this morning as I was panic writing this script um, Ant-Man someone mentioned Ant-Man yes yep.
1: Baskin Robbins Baskin Robbins
0: always finds out bro uh, that great <laughs> scene uh, where Paul Rudd is fired at Baskin Robbins uh, by Greg Turkington, Jerry um, McGuire, Jerry Maguire. Jerry yes. Maguire, yes. Jerry Maguire. Yes. Who's gets, coming with me? Yeah, he gets fired. Um, and then uh, we mention this. I think this is we mention this all the time now in the podcast. But Three Amigos. There's oh. a great scene with Three Amigos get get fired by Harry <laughs> Flugelman at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> they have. It's an amazing just cavalcade of comedic talents. So you have obviously the Three Amigos, but you also have uh, Joe Mantegna as the, the studio boss. Yeah. And you have John Lovitz and you have Phil Hartman as his lackeys. And Phil Hartman's on the phone going, take the amigos' clothes and yeah, you know, get the amigos out of their house. And it's, it's such good fun. Really good stuff. And there are other movies as well.
2: Worst, worst sacking, I'm going to say, up in the air.
1: What? No, the, the, no, no
2: not, not as it's badly done, but to be, if you're going to be sacked, I'd rather be shot through a building than fired by a monitor.
1: <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Well, no, there was an interesting... Uh Uh, Anna Kendrick talked about that in the current issue of Empire and she talked about the the financial crash happened as they were making the movie and she said so Clooney's character went from being almost like a hitman to just being a genocidal maniac because... (laughs) because so many people in real life were you know, were losing yeah. their jobs at the time and, and the whole kind of tenor and the, the tone of the movie changed as, as a result which I thought was kind of interesting That's really
2: interesting, yeah. I hadn't even crossed my mind She's wow. a very
1: smart lady, Anna Kendrick If you haven't picked up the current issue of Empire I do recommend a read <laughs> Look at that, synergy man, Brian <laughs> synergy right now
0: How much is it, Helen? Uh, <laughs> £4.50 and
1: Where's all good sale? and evil news agents Good and agents. evil yeah. news yeah. agents, yeah. alright good. Good. good, good,
0: good yeah. Yeah. Buy now, <laughs> terms and conditions apply I might use my wage my my, my, my my weekly wage to pay for it.
3: Please, sir. <laughs> please, sir. Can I have a loan?
0: Uh, right. Okay. So there's your question. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, uh, then do send them in to us via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We're on email at podcast at com, And we're on Facebook as well as, would you believe it, Empire Magazine. A lot of fun. Send mm-hmm. them in. And then yell at us for missing... Uh, I just realised no films made pre-1993 there in that little list Network but, no 1986 Three makers Network yes so there you go token mention <laughs> uh, one of the great movies um, there you go oh, no, I, yeah, I always mention horror films don't I as well you do and you could say that Patrick Trouton in The Omen gets fired from the priesthood by Satan in a rather I interesting way. I don't think way. Satan
1: has the power to fire people from the priesthood. Honestly, Traditionally, yeah. he's not in that kind of a role God within does the, the organisation.
0: Satan does the firing. That's how it works. And I, I, I've I probably angered a lot of people. This, <laughs> <with> may,
1: <laughs> this may be an ecumenical matter, Chris. <laughs> I went past Graham Linehan in the street last night. Did you? Yeah, I did. You should not find it back on the podcast. I should have.
0: Yeah, we had a lot of fun with Graham Linehan. Uh, Linehan? Linehan? Linehan. Linehan. Okay.
2: I don't know his name, but we had a lot of fun with him. <laughs> well, it's Glynner on Twitter. So I'm but saying, saying Linnehan Fair Linehan.
0: Okay, Alright, so let's uh, have a guest We've got two guests this week um, The first one has been on the podcast before And you know what, we liked him so much We simply had to have him back uh, He's the Welsh wizard that is Luke Evans And he'll be seen in this week's Ruddy Bloody, The Girl on the Train And he was talking to John Nugent Dario Nugento himself Do enjoy
5: Luke Evans, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you very How much. You, sir? I'm very good. You're very is, good.
4: Welcome back, I should say. This is yeah, a, no, I've been here before. At the um, time, I
5: think you are in the Hattrick Club.
4: Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Living the dream. An exclusive um, club. It's great. And, uh, you know, I listen to the podcast and I Excellent. have good friends that listen to it. My friend Robbie listens to it every, every week, is it? you Yes. Do it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hello, yeah. Robbie Scotcher. Yeah.
5: <laughs> well, glad, yeah. glad to have a fan on. Um, we, As we speak, this is the morning after the premiere of yeah. The Girl on the Train.
4: Yeah, it was great. Well, as premiers go, I've done some big ones and I've felt the response and the reaction and the energy in the room. This one was really really great. Um, I think the audience well they were gripped. I, I you could hear a pin drop and it's quite hard in a big studio cinema like the Odeon yeah. on Leicester Square. People are ruffling papers or popcorn, but there was like no one was moving. It's it it, yeah. it grips you from the second it starts. Yeah. And it's quite psychological so you really are you're drawn into it in a psychological way as much as a sort of a a thriller, you know, it's yeah. just a and I really really worked and the the music yeah is Phenomenal! The score just nails it so well, you know. And I think with a thriller, music is is literally the final layer, isn't it? You know, and it just works so well. So Emily's phenomenal. Not everyone is brilliant in it, but obviously Emily, the girl on the train, Mm -hmm. she does such a brilliant job.
5: Yeah. Was it uh, was it
4: a late night for you? I always wonder. If- no, I mean no, no. It's your fault. It's not late. People <laughs> like you um, ruin it Sorry for about people that. like me. Uh, no, nah, it's all right. No, here to uh, talk about this great film, which we're all proud of. So I don't mind going to bed. I was in bed about midnight, yeah. and uh, I've been up at the crack of dawn this morning. Um, done a couple of radio shows. Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, it's a busy day. It's and then keep we're off to New own. York tomorrow, so you oh, know, wow. it's it's quite quick.
5: So this is obviously this is a book that was very popular when it first came out a few years ago. Huge. Yeah. Uh, it's got a huge inbuilt fan base. Obviously, you've you've started in a few book adaptations already, but you know what to expect with that sort of yeah. pre-built audience. Do you are you sort of conscious
4: of that? I oh, it's hard to not be aware of it. Yeah. You know, you can't really ignore the fact that it's, you know, it was on the bestsellers list New York Times bestsellers list bestsellers list at number one for like 19, 20 weeks or something Um, it's still in the top 10 I think and you know it's uh, so you're very aware that there's a huge amount of um, anticipation with the film and you know when you read a book it doesn't matter whether it's uh, you know Mini novel or or Tolkien or Paula Hawkins, you'll imagine the, you'll create the look of the character in your head, you'll the location, the shape of their house, what they have in their house, the color of their house, you know, you create everything, the shape of the train, you know, all these different things. So it's actually a bigger job for, uh, the adaptation into a film because people come with an idea mm. of what it's going to look like or what they think the character's going to look like or, or, or act like so yeah. um, you are aware of it but at some point you just got to sort of think okay well if, it, if we do it right you know they'll, they'll, they'll go with it and it, it, you know, most of the time it works
5: yeah so. And this is one of those films where you're never really sure about people. You're never sure who to trust. Your mm. character, to some extent, is, is quite a- ambiguous.
4: Yeah, and I think that was the point. I mean, yeah. in, in the book as well as the the screenplay, it's it is you. You see a man who suffers slightly with his anger you know i think his wife doesn't help it For i think they're quite sort of tempestuous and they're as passionate in the bedroom as they are um when they're having an argument um and there's a lot of things going on that are bubbling below the surface as in most marriages i guess mm. you know there's always something you have to work at um but yeah you, it, you he's presented in a way where you think he possibly could be you know the culprit and um and i think it it plays plays very well in the film i mean a lot of people you don't, and that's the great thing it doesn't really there's no reveal right, till right. very very near the end and that's that's great but poor old scott hipwell my character gets you know accused yeah. arrested deceived betrayed you know you get, everything happens to this man he gets punched in the face a million times <laughs> you know yeah you don't have a fun time of it really He doesn't really yeah. that's why those these wrinkles on my head sort of <laughs> work very well for
5: the character I mean, it is. It is such an intense and sort of emotional film. Mm. I do wonder on that sort of film, like, what's the atmosphere on set like? Is it once you call cut, and it's all smiles and jokes?
4: Or um, yeah, say? yeah, it was actually. Was it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't. You have to have a bit of levity when you're yeah. doing something as drainingly psychological and, and physical yeah. as this. Um, you know, it's, it, it's it's dark subject matter, and also it's very realistic. It, it's it's real life. You know, yeah. all right, it's it's extreme. Parts of real life, but it's still based in 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 reality. So you don't really want to stay in those places, you know. It's better to be able to switch in and out of it. And um, and you know, e- Emily and Haley and Rebecca, we-, we were all able to do that. My my work was mainly with those girls, and yeah. um, and uh, so yeah, it was fine. And you have got to sort of just have a little bit of a laugh. There's plenty, yeah. of, plenty to chat about. You've you've also started in another
5: pretty intense film this year, High Rise, which is one of our, our favorites. Of the yeah, I mean, yeah. That's
4: that's pretty. That's pretty full on, isn't that it? That was, was full on. That was more method. Yeah. Um, yeah. um I well, method without really thinking about it. I just couldn't switch off from the character. He oh, sort right. of he gripped me really and yeah. um, took over a little bit. And I, I actually went with it for a while. I thought, why not? You know, I'm in Belfast and it's only seven weeks, and yeah. uh, and I I enjoyed the energy of of Richard Wilder as much as he was quite terrifying. I, yeah. There was a lot of other quite entertaining parts of his of his character which I enjoyed um playing on even when i wasn't on film so yeah you know what what kind of set was that like i mean
5: what was the atmosphere like on sets um was it as we expect as sort of raucous and a little
4: bit yeah private? i mean ben ben wheatley's he's 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 he likes to have fun he likes to have yeah. a laugh you know i mean we're making a film but you know it's still it we, we end we're he's very entertaining and we, we yeah. giggle about an awful lot of stuff and uh You know there are quite a lot of moments, especially my character. He's just pushing the boundaries massively. You know, (laughs) sticking me in a pram, pushing me down a corridor covered in toilet roll, and then you know, banging on this door a million times and all that stuff. It was, it was Ben's imagination. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. And often it was quite funny. But again, you know, you just breaking that uh, seriousness just for a moment. You know, I think it just gives you a moment to recharge, to go back into the darkness again. Um, Staying in it all day can, you know, can be quite. Quite, um, it can tax you and also leave a scar. Yeah, <laughs> a
5: bit for quite a while. I bet. Okay, so a slightly different experience than I imagine would be Beauty and the Beasts. Surely, just slightly. Surely, Disney movies are less intense than that.
4: Well, on that that film, so you you laugh and joke while the film, the camera's rolling, and then when it stops, you're just really nasty and miserable all the rest of it. (laughs) Chain smoking, drinking whiskey in your trailer. (laughs) Don't talk to me, don't look at me in the eye. No eye contact, yeah. No eye contact. Yeah. You you must be in your happy place on a
5: film like that. You've got a West End background, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Was it a familiar sort of experience for you? Well, it's just nice to be able to know you can do something really well (laughs) you know there's no one's gonna tell me i can't sing because i know i can um and uh i just it was just so nice you know yeah i don't know we're all good at something really really well you know something we're really really good at whether it's you know riding a bike playing snooker swimming you know boxing singing talk whatever you're telling jokes mine is singing that's what i'm really bloody good at and uh i remember just been just going into that recording studio and sitting with the guys that had written the music for Beauty and the Beast and singing my song and them just going yeah great thank you that's brilliant we we don't go and touch that so you were in with like Alan Menken and all these guys yeah man yeah it was amazing and we've tweaked a bit of the song as well because of um, how we could so um, because we've got the writer there and he was like you can do that, great, let's do it, mm-hmm. um and adding lyrics that weren't in the original that were actually from the manuscripts of the of their first sort of workshop, wow and you know they've added bits back in from that, yeah there's some really special moments, and you know for the really diehard fans that will they will notice them,
5: yeah,
4: um, the others will just watch a brilliant a brilliant film it's really it's it's got everything in it, you know yeah. it's It'll take you for a ride and visually, and it just breathtaking. It's like looking at an old MGM yeah. 1940s musical film. You know? wow. It's huge. You've huge. seen it then? You've seen the. Thing. I've seen three cuts of it. Okay. Uh, still isn't finished. Yep. You know, there's a lot of rendering left. You know, there's it's a lot of CGI in it, obviously. Yeah, you sure. know, you've got a lot of inanimate objects they'll end up being moving will move around and obviously we, yeah. they've released a couple of clips of it now and you've seen the clock and the the, the, the candelabra yeah. and um, they're lifelike right. and they are extremely lifelike and I think that takes a lot of work and money <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah well we very much look forward to that we also would look forward to seeing you again in Fast and Furious uh, I don't know if will ever see Owen Shaw again. What do you think?
4: Like, the last I don't times- know. I mean, will we ever see him again? What do you think? I mean, can a man come out of an induced coma covered in skin grafts in a military hospital? If he does come out, where is he going to end up? I in mean, another prison? <laughs> I feel if any
5: franchise can, you know, bring someone back to life, it's Fast and Furious.
4: Well, that is also true. Uh, who knows? Who yeah. knows? You're right. If any franchise can res- resume people, uh, resume, exhume people, yes. From The dead, it's that one, yeah. Uh, who knows? Uh, who knows? That's all I'm gonna say. I mean, say. They're,
5: they're confirmed eight, nine, and ten in that series now, so
4: that's right. So, I've got time to you know f- recover, escape, <laughs> yes. find a new gang, yeah. Um, the couple of new tanks. The Shaw brothers, now that could be an idea. Who knows? Maybe a spin off, who knows? A spin off might work, uh, yeah. I mean, the the options are endless, but yes. um, we shall see. Fast, what is next? Fast, eight, I think eight is next. Up, uh, Eight. when does it? it come out? I think
5: that's. Uh, Sometime next year.
4: Okay. Oh, cool. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we?
5: Yeah. You haven't had any conversations, then? You have you? They
4: haven't. Um. I mean, I'm as far as I know, I'm still in that bed. You know. Yeah. Um. I know I have a mother. now Yes. Um. A Dame Helen Mirren. Dame Helen Mirren. Yes. Mumsy. That's not a bad mother. (laughs) mummy and um, a big brother. Yes. Uh, so yeah, they're doing all right. Yeah. So let's see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um,
5: I think I'm almost out of time. I just wanted to ask very briefly. Um, there's a parallel universe where you are in the Crow remake. Yes. Um, and obviously that that didn't work out for you, sadly. Mm. Um But it's it seems so by choice. By yes, absolutely by choice. So so Corin Hardy's pressing ahead now. Yeah. Um, with 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 the new cast, like I just wanted to know your thoughts on it. Like,
4: <sighs> I know. mean. It's a weird one. It that's a it's a weird one for me. It was like probably the first like role I'd taken and everything had been you know, was going ahead around there for it to not happen was a strange thing, feeling. You know, it was the first time in my career that had happened and I'd gone quite far in the process. I was in the middle of Dracula when they okayed it and it was going to happen and then we got to January and then, you know, I was hearing through the grapevine through my team that it was slowing down and something wasn't happening and, you know, it was... And then the director pulled out who I basically really was wanted to do the film with that director, Mm -hmm. Javier Guterres, who's a fantastic... um, filmmaker and um, he pulled out and we'd waited a long time and you know you can't wait forever yeah. we were both you know wanted in other, in other projects and you know you're saying no and all that stuff yeah. and it comes a point when you sort of just have to walk away and say no I'm sorry you know it's too late now and up from for a point I would have probably thought about going back um, but yeah I mean it's great that it's going to happen and I think um, Jason will be a great uh, uh, a crow I think he. Yeah he definitely looks the part and uh, he's got the chops for it. So yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see. But it, yeah, it's sad. It's, it's, it's always sad when you've said yes to something because, you know, by saying yes, you've gone through the process of going, is this something I want to do? I don't just say yes to anything. Of course. And, uh... And this one was a really big deal, you know, and I was asked about it all year long yeah. you know and yeah. i i couldn 't say no i 'm not doing it because we didn 't know yeah. um in the end, I just had to say no enough now this is this is not uh, unfortunately it 's not going to be my my journey and I have to go and do something else but that 's the way life is and yeah. um you know the, swings and roundabouts, and yeah. one door shuts and another one opens, and you know it's happened since as well which yeah. is which is weird, but you know I, you realize in this business it's it 's incredibly organic and And it's amazing anything's ever fucking made in this business, (laughs) frankly, because everything takes so bloody long to get done. Um, But it does, and um, yeah, it's all good. And I'm off to do another job, which um, I can't even talk about, which is really annoying, and they're very late in announcing it. But uh, I start in two weeks, but it's a really great uh, film about um, a professor from Harvard in the 30s who invented invented one thing and created something else. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I'm trying to I'm not saying I'm very general and I'm on the Empire podcast and I should be exposing it all and I wish I could but yeah. I'm going to get into a lot of trouble because uh, they want to do a big announcement in about a few days yeah so, um, well, there you go I, I mean, this
5: space. another door opens it's
4: yeah, just, how it goes. yeah. Oh, plenty of doors opened after lots that lots of doors don't you worry yeah
5: <laughs> <laughs> hey Luke thank you so much always no, welcome pleasure. on the Empire podcast please come thanks back man soon. thank you very much Cheers. I will
0: take care thank you uh, Luke Evans told John that he listens to the podcast so we, we, we test him should we test well, how him how do you want to test him um, a written test alright next time he comes in we'll give him a written test and he has to answer questions about things that happen no in the
1: maybe podcast. we say a, p- a code word now right oh, and yeah. then he has to, he has to say it back to us next time we interview him alright okay so like the code word is code like word. badgers
0: badgers Luke Evans if you're listening to this next time you're on the podcast you have to say badgers the code name again badgers uh, okay let's have some uh, movie news should
1: we move yeah. move um, it's been quite a good week for titles uh, this week there have been a couple of big f- films that were previously untitled something sequel uh, now have proper names uh, one among them is Blade Runner which mm-hmm. will now be called Logan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the other one. Damn it. Very good guess, James, but maybe you should have been keeping up a little bit more closely with the news. It will, of course, be called Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049.
0: I haven't seen the, the previous 2047.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. That's great. I think it refers to a year, Chris, rather than being the number of films in the oh, sequence Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and say. as
2: we know, this will clearly be a sequel to popular computer game Wipeout 2047.
1: <laughs> sure, mm. yes So I'm sure it's well, going to the next year. bring that in But of course as we all know Denis Villeneuve is directing Ryan Gosling is starring with Harrison Ford And of course um, Ridley Scott has given his blessing Which is why he's in the lovely picture of them all hanging around Having a lovely old time in somebody's library Such a great time Such a great time
2: So much fun
0: a,
1: So much fun
2: On a level of 1 to 10 how excited are we about this film?
1: I'm I'm uh, I'm very hopeful I think uh, you know it's it's a really interesting world to go back to and I'm hoping that having left it this long they have an idea of that's going to be really blow our socks off and Mm. and be amazing Um, I'm very encouraged by the presence of the original screenwriter and everything Um, so I'm really optimistic but I'm not sort of sanguine about it I'm I'm hoping for the best rather than necessarily sure that it's going to happen.
2: Denis Villeneuve could at this point direct an in-flight video and I would watch it for like eight hours on loop <laughs> so I'm absolutely on board with this
1: that's because you just saw Arrival I did it, it? it's amazing sorry yeah it, it, sorry. it is It is extremely good so that, that it, I mean it, all the good all the signs are there all the signs are good um I'm just, yeah, I just, you know, it, it could go horribly wrong as well It's going horribly won't. right. So they will go You're right. Brilliantly. Okay, it's going to go brilliantly. Yeah. And of course, also in the cast are Robin Wright, uh, Anna de Armas, uh, loads of good people actually: Mackenzie Davis, Barkhad mm. Abdi, mm. Um, Jared Leto, David Bautista. So mm. yeah, Lenny who's, James.
0: Who's playing 2049? Uh, 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 no. I, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's exciting. It's exciting. That's yeah. exciting news. Well done, Blade Runner for having a title. <laughs> um,
1: Speaking of having a title.
0: Oh, thank you, Helen. I hoped you were going to talk about my MBE, but uh, Uh, yes, thanks very much indeed. uh, The
1: other... Oh, the other title. James mentioned it already. Logan! Logan. Logan. Yes. Logan. Um, Untitled Wolverine sequel is now Logan. And I think this is interesting because it's sort of... There's been a bit of a, a sort of growth in confidence through titles in this series. So the first one was X-Men Origins colon Wolverine, which I think we can all agree is pretty bad. Um, title and film. Ti- well, yes, yeah. uh, if we're honest, yes. Uh, the second one was The Wolverine, which was a substantial improvement in both title and film. Um, and this one is Logan, which, again, like that's really confident. I mean, you've never had a Superman film called Clark Kent or a Batman film called Bruce Wayne or just Bruce so <laughs> I you know they should. Well, that would actually be awesome but this is so that you've got to hope that that confidence mm. is warranted you've got to hope that this really is what, what that name implies and it's a sort of a stripped back stripped down more dramatic take on the character and it, that it focuses on the character and not sort of you know giant things over cities much as I love you Marvel um, so yeah but
2: what was the actual turn of phrase that was actually because he, he tweeted uh, Mangold tweeted a page from the script didn't he yes and he said this, "If yeah, he was talking about the action scene and he said this will not be and I think it was something like a was it a city destroying CG fuckathon yes so that's what it's not going to be
1: no CG city destroying fuckathons yes
2: mm. uh, I, no it's interesting I, I like that they've gone with Logan I think it's great from a comic point of view I also think it to a certain extent distances it itself from the other two, both of which were not good to varying degrees. Um, But it's a weird... I'm surprised the studio went for it, because it's a weirdly uncommercial move, because there's a lack of recognition to
1: it. I suspect that there were some serious Mm. discussions. I mean, this is quite late. I mean, the film's due out in March or so. So it's, it's quite late to announce your title. And I think maybe that's because there was that sort of hesitance and there was that sort of deep breath before taking this plunge. You
2: can imagine yeah. the meeting, can't you, with the guy in the suit? Can we call it The Wolverine colon Logan Origins?
1: Can we call it X-Men colon Logan slash Wolverine?
2: Brackets in the same universe as Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> can we just call it Deadpool 2?
1: <laughs>
3: Do we
0: have to have this Wolverine guy in it? How quickly things change in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I like the title. I think they probably reckon that enough people have seen all the previous X-Men movies where he's very rarely called Wolverine mm. uh, and is almost always called Logan it's very true to true. To, uh, to justify this I would have liked to see Old Man Logan as a title but then again they've never been direct adaptations of the comic books no. as we know and this may not be um, you know I don't know I wasn't the one on set uh, were you on set
1: James?
2: no
0: were you, were you on, on set, set
1: Helen? Helen? I was not on set <laughs> well,
2: okay okay um there also was a picture That came out Of yes. old man Patrick Stewart yeah. Which was, was interesting Again tweeted This one by Hugh Jackman I believe And it showed him In all his prosthetics As an ageing Sort of cataract riven Professor X mm. He looked rather cool Yeah I'm, I'm And wizened
1: and, and the poster for the film Also released A slight riff On the Schindler's List Poster Do Weirdly We
2: discussed this in the office Do, I mean I couldn't decide Whether it was an intentional And wildly inappropriate riff On Schindler's List Or whether it was just Happenstance But it's very similar Very similar. I
1: think it's probably intentional, although they're probably hoping we don't consciously pick up on it, I guess. Well, they'll love this
2: bit then, won't they?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but it is, um, you know, it's it's Logan slash Wolverine's hand with the claws out holding a smaller hand. Whose could it be? Patrick
0: Stewart's. Yes. Stephen Merchant's.
1: Such a great guess.
0: (laughs) Logan, can you order, Logan, Logan, order! That's my terrible Stephen Merchant impression, but it's just a general, vague West Country voice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this movie. You know, the timeline of the X Men movies makes not a lick of sense, even with the Red Calling and mm-hmm. the resetting of Days Future Past. So, I'll be intrigued to see which, where this takes place. Why Professor X looks so old. Uh, in relation to you know, Days of Future Past took place in 2023 and he looked pretty damn good in that. That's so, a very good point. Uh, you know, how far in the future does it take place? Is Deadpool in it? Are low my feet? All these uh, more <laughs> will be answered next March. Uh, oh, Emily Mortimer.
1: Yes. She's, she's in something, isn't she's she? She's joined uh, Mary Poppins Returns and she'll be playing Jane. So the original, if you remember the Banks family, there was Michael and Jane, the two uh, kids of the family. So she mm-hmm. is returning as the adult Jane. This is this is set some yeah. what, twenty five, thirty years later. Um
2: the heroine versus Anti-sort of villain Mary Poppins, who obviously appeared on our list of the greatest villains, and therefore is clearly the villain.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was confusing for everyone, I think. Uh-huh. Um, so yes, she will be playing the sister to Ben Wishaw, who's already in line to play the growing up Michael, and it's it's his kind of crisis that draws Mary Poppins back. She comes back in the form of Emily Blunt to uh, sort out h- him and his kids after they experience a loss. Presumably, it's a oh, his wife has died. It's something like that. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda my personal fave uh, obviously is uh, is on board to play a sort of a Dick Van Dyke-esque character this time a street, light, a street lamp lighter rather than a chimney sweep Pranky governor or words to that effect but hopefully less you know
3: Awful. Cool, blimey, governor. Yeah. Me Hamilton Q's been banged up. Don Cheadle's busy, sadly. I don't yeah. know
1: that his his accent is necessarily that bad. Anyway, no, no, um, what do you mean, and bad? Meryl Streep will be playing Mary Poppins' cousin, Topsy. So it's all shaping up quite promisingly. Oh, what, fingers Topsy crossed, It's very good. <laughs> what on earth is wrong with you?
3: What? I'm doing a spot-on the accent, Isn't it, governor? <laughs> You sound
2: alarmingly like uh, Tom Hardy and Peaky Blinders, which is <laughs> deeply disturbing on every level.
1: You not only sound like you're not Cockney, you sound like you've never been within the sound of bow bells, like in your life. What so. do you mean,
3: Governor? I was born with the sound of bow bells in me blinking, what do you call Head. Cockney, my own sound for head is. Brown uh, bread. No, that's Brown dead. bread. No, know. wait. Anthony Head. Something uh, that rhymes. Anthony uh, yeah, head, that's Anthony, it. Yeah. Anthony, <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. So. What else do we have? In terms of Oh wait, I've well, got one. I've got one. Okay. I've got one. Alright. Get your um jam jars round this.
1: <laughs> what is going on?
3: Adam Shankman, yes, not rhyming Slang, is gonna direct a sequel to Enchanted, isn't it? We Governor? are keeping
1: it Disney right now, aren't we? Yes, that's true.
3: Yep. I'm expecting um, a, I'm spe- <clears throat> expecting the check any second.
1: <laughs>
0: No, no. No. no,
1: that's it's true and actually, it's true. This is this is quite promising I think Because Enchanted was utterly charming um, I would imagine and, and hope actually That by next summer Amy Adams will have an Oscar under her belt And we'll be looking for something It's a bad know.
0: place to keep an Oscar
1: You're right, it's very heavy And it would pull your belt belt would, down And destroy the line of your dress do. And it would yeah.
0: poke into things
1: I didn't think this through Anyway, um, hopefully by then she'll have an Oscar And traditionally you do a big silly movie After you win your Oscar And this could be the perfect one Why would she have an Oscar? For arrival, this
2: mm-hmm. could be her Catwoman.
1: Um, this could be her Cat. <laughs> Wait, no, that makes it sound bad. Let's try that again. But no, she could have this an, could an Oscar for arrival. She's she's just as overdue as Leah was. Basically, she's had five nominations and not one. So mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. going to be Because
2: clearly she needs to go up on the stage and go, ah, ah, or however, it, however it goes, to yeah. summon the little you I, know, things, the vermin with, I, the, I with the stuff. I recall really liking Enchanted
0: and I, I'm intrigued that they would go back and do a sequel because I didn't think it, I think it did well at the box office, but I didn't think it did well at the box office, but clearly it's, it's, it did well. it's done well. It feels well.
2: a little bit like a one, do you know what I mean? It's like, can like you go one back or. to that, If to go back to that well feels a little bit like you'd be straining the... The gag because you know it works really well, and James Marsden is hilarious as Prince Charming. So do you know what I mean? He's brilliant in it. But I wonder if that would wear very quickly unless they mix it up a lot. I don't know. We'll see. We'll mm. see. I do enjoy it a lot. Great stuff. I love a happy working song. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good song, though. It is a good
0: song. We
1: were singing happy working so- working songs just this morning, Chris. We were we <laughs> we really in the Empire <laughs>
0: Office. We, we really everywhere. were. We were singing songs of despair <laughs> and desolation. <laughs> Uh, this is what happens when the deadline approaches. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, continuing on a Disney trip very, very quickly. Uh, there was a trailer this week for Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, which was known as Dead Men Tell No Tales, but is now over here in the UK. This is very unusual. Mm. Yeah. will be known as something else. It'll be called...
1: Salazar's Revenge. Oh, I thought it
0: was going to be called Please Come and See This Movie. Um, <laughs> no, Salazar's Revenge. That's... You're absolutely right.
2: What? What? I mean why
1: well <laughs> Just I,
2: another
0: uh, I was
1: actually, subtitle
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was actually looking this up uh, in all seriousness yesterday I mean so we know that uh, Zootropolis no Zootopia became Zootropolis here because there is a Danish zoo called <laughs> Zootopia. Yes. Um, so is I it was like, over is there here, another... dead men
2: do tell tales, and therefore it's
1: inconsistent. <laughs> no, but there's a BBC Panorama documentary called "Dead Men Tell No Tales." Is there really? So I thought maybe it's that. Uh, that's the best really? I could come up with on a Google search. I haven't called up Disney yet to, to actually ask and find out. There's probably a, a you know a reason like that. Um, but I would imagine it's got to be something along those lines.
2: It's a shame because I mean, "Dead Men Tell No Tales" isn't, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but it's not a bad title. Salazar's Revenge is a little bit.
1: Yeah. and actually in some countries it's going to be more like the revenge of Salazar although I think that's j- down more to like local variations and how they put words together but yeah, yeah it's, it's very confusing
0: I can see why they've done this I, you know because it gets people are talking immediately in pubs and clubs up and down the country <laughs> people will be going who is Salazar why does he want revenge
1: On upon whom? whom
0: would he like to exact <laughs> that revenge um, Kevin or,
1: well I can actually tell you, he oh. wants to exact revenge upon, and this will shock you, Captain Jack Sparrow. No. I know. Who did not appear in the teaser. Make of that what you will. Um <laughs> And uh, and so, yes, he's been imprisoned in the Devil's Triangle. Presumably the devil that lives in sounds Bermuda. Like a euphemism. It does, it really doesn't does. it? Um, and, and is now back and he's seeking the Trident of Poseidon, <laughs> which we all <laughs> saw last in the hands of Ursula the Sea Witch, of course. Um, yes. That battle I would totally watch for the record. Anyway, um, so, yeah, actually, we last saw it in Trident's hands. Don't at me. Okay, I know. Anyway. Did uh, you just so say don't at me? I said don't at me.
2: Don't at me, bro. Helen, Don't at I'm, me, bro. I'm hashtag embarrassed. me. <laughs>
1: thanks. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so yes, we know all that. We know that Brenton Thwaites is playing a character called Henry, and I couldn't forget to, it if I wanted to. <laughs> I know, and due to a couple of slight, possibly slight spoilers that uh, Orlando Bloom gave away in a, in a press conference a little while ago, uh, we have reason to believe that he is the son of Will Turner. How? Uh, with Keira Knightley, you remember the post-credit sting, of course, to At World's End. I think well, we all course remember we all stayed it well. To
2: the end of the credits of that one,
1: where it turned out that Kira Knightley had had a son while Will Turner was away at sea, being Davy Jones for ten yes. years. Yes. So this is that child growing uh, up.
0: But then, uh, uh,
1: and then, Caius Codelario plays a character called I think Karina, um, who is an astronomer. We're told she's very different from Elizabeth Swann and not just the same character over again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but there is a rumor that she might be Barbosa's daughter. <gasps> So, so it's
0: Barbosa's in this one as well, isn't he? Barbosa's is in this one as well. It's I okay. mean, because of reasons. And the trader was um, Javier Bardem
2: as Salazar. Salazar.
1: Yeah, he has got a cool sort of drowned man kind of look. Yeah. To him, like his hair is all sort of underwatery. Yeah, in, in fact,
2: yeah, it, it, an effect that we also see in Arrival. Mm. But um, I, I, it felt a little bit like could they not have done something a little fresher? Do you know what I mean? So it's the teaser is quite short ghost pirate looking scary walks along threatens someone and then is a bit funny at the end and it's it just felt like how many ghost pirates do we have to sit through and why can't we watch the Kevin (laughs) McNally spin-off movie that we all want Gibbs now that (laughs) I will watch in a heartbeat
0: I can't
1: believe we're we're jaded about ghost (laughs) pirates (laughs) I I will say I,
0: I actually didn't mind the trailer it's interesting as you say that they didn't put Jack Sparrow up there it's Almost as if they wanted to avoid that for the time being. It's bizarre, isn't yeah. It? <laughs> anyway, but um, uh, it looks like it harkens back to the tone of the first movie, yes. which uh, you know is I, st- I still think is, is is a very very good film, and um, I'm just intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by how this one will shape up. It's been five years, I think, since. On Stranger Ties, which we can all agree was terrible, <laughs> uh, but still made over a billion at the box office, which explains why they're doing a the fifth one. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, this one will get back to basics as as much as you can have basics with zombie pirates and whatnot. Indeed. Um, but uh, I think it was Mark Miller on Twitter about two weeks ago said, apropos of nothing, that he had heard, and if it was Mark Miller, I apologise, but someone um, said that they had heard that this is the best since the first one. Sweet. Apropos of nothing, like people who don't even work for Disney were yeah. saying that that's the Scott of that
2: Who's your favourite so. ghost pirate?
1: <laughs> I mean it's it's Barbosa actually. No, it's not it's the ghost monkey.
2: Oh, ooh, ooh, oh. Yeah, that's right. That was a good answer that's probably true but yeah Barbosa of the captains. I mean obviously LeChuck from Monkey Island notwithstanding, uh, is probably the best.
0: Good. So, I'm glad we spent so long talking about that. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. Um so that is that from movie news unless you have anything majorly pressing. If not, I should introduce our second guest this week Let's do it uh, Who is one of our favourite directors One of the best directors in Britain She made her name first as an actress She was on number 73 Do you remember that show with Sandy Talks Him out of Art Attack That was good Uh, Then she won an Oscar for her uh, short film Wasp in 2003, uh, parlayed that into uh, great British independent films like Red Road, Fish Tank, um, Wuthering Heights five years ago. And now Andrew Arnold for It Is She is back with American Honey, uh, which stars Sasha Lane, Riley Keough and uh, Shia LaBeouf and is by all accounts fantastic. Our Emma Thrower in particular is evangelical about it. So we rewarded her with an audience with Andrew Arnold. Enjoy.
6: Andrea Arnold, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you. Hello. Hello. So American Honey was inspired by this article in the New York Times from 2007. So I was wondering if you could elaborate a little as to what it was about it that really sort of lodged in your brain.
7: Uh, I didn't read it in 2007. I read it a lot later. I can't remember quite when I did. Somebody sent it to me. They thought I might be interested in that world. And I was immediately. And people have asked me what it was. And, and sometimes it's not. I'm not clear about why I'm exactly attracted to something. I mean, there were lots of things in it that were definitely in you know interesting to me. The fact they were set in America is about all these kids that were roaming America. You know, it was uh, about you know people selling things, which I've kind of fascinated with because that's kind of it was like sort of a potted you know catalyst kind of environment, yeah. you know, which is reflective of the bigger picture. Sure. So all those things, but I think when it really comes down to it, what was really the thing that I was kind of honed in on was the fact that there were all these kind of kids from all these very difficult backgrounds and from a lot from broken families and a lot of runaways and they were sort of joining up together on this bus and traveling around america yeah. and they were forming
6: a sort of surrogate family and i think that's the thing that's the basically what i wanted to explore and then you actually went out right for sort of nearly two years was it and traveled around with some of my crews is that true yeah not quite that <laughs> i love the way Rupert. <laughs> so that's yeah, like, like a long time to Oh, that rumor. Yeah,
7: look, <laughs> three yeah, years. I, I went three years, and I was like with one mad crew, and I made a load of money. Uh-huh. No, no, uh, no. I did a ver- I did a variety of kind of road trips by myself because when I when I was going to start writing the film, I realised I didn't really. You know, I'd been to America. You know, I'd been to sort of New York and LA, and film school in LA for a year, but I didn't really, really know some of the places that these kids were going to. You know, the the Midwest and the South. I didn't really know them, so I kind of felt like I wanted to get to know it more. So I just. I just spent a lot of time on my own, travelling around America, doing road trips, and uh, going to some of the places that um, they would go. You know, the Mad Crew kids would go sure. to, staying in the same places, and and also going to the towns that they came from. Because I was told, I was told at the beginning that a lot of a lot of the kids that join the Mad Crews come from those very tiny towns in the middle, where there's all that space around. You know, the horizon yeah. is like it's like the sea. Yeah, you know, it's yes. very far. The horizon's very far off, and you can't see very. Much much sure. you know there's no buildings and it's just green as far you know it's like very the horizon very far off and i was really intrigued by that yeah i was thinking if i was a kid living in one of those towns i want to know what was over that horizon you know yeah of course so i can imagine them coming from there so i went to those kind of towns and i just did a lot of research i guess yeah. uh, and also making an emotional connection to america
6: and then your kids, your crew, as it yeah. were, you basically all went around and you stayed in the motels, didn't you? And you had these yeah. crazy parties like we see in the film. So yeah. how long did it take for them all to bond like we see on screen? Um, we uh, yeah, we did a road trip, which
7: was... Um, I always wanted to do a real trip, so I didn't want it to be like a normal film where people, you know, you shoot uh, out of order and yeah. pe- people just come in for a few days and then disappear and then they come in for another few days and then disappear. I wanted all the crew and the cast to have a, an adventure and, and, and do the trip together so we, we all met together in Muskogee in Oklahoma and we were there for about a couple of weeks before we actually set off because we had some filming to do there and also we had a week of everyone turning up and getting to know each other and <laughs> they bonded straight away <laughs> I mean there was they wasted no time yeah. really They were, I think they were all so excited and uh, they'd all come from all over America some of them hadn't flown before so it oh, was a wow. huge adventure even just getting everybody there yeah. was like a huge adventure. So by the time they got there, and we're all staying in the same motel, so it was it was immediately so sociable because everyone's just I mean no one's staying in their rooms, everyone's out, yeah. you know, like chatting in each other's rooms and
6: so it was so they were just immediately they immediately bonded. <laughs> Amazing. I mean straight away really and I remember you saying back at Cannes that you were just relieved at the end of shooting that no one had died. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well it was a huge adventure and yeah. it, I, you know
7: some of, some of our cast are pretty, you know, they're adventurous. <laughs> yeah. And so I worried about them a bit, you know. Yeah. So I was very glad when we got to the end. It was literally my first thought when we rapped, when we said, that's a wrap, which was, you know, very late one night after we did the very last scene. And uh, it was such a huge, huge moment. I just remember that was literally my first thought. It was For like, sure. Phew, <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody got hurt. Thank God. Well, actually, there were a few accidents, but no one died. No. <laughs> <laughs>
6: With so. a big sigh of relief, so Shia took his car, his truck, drove his truck out, and that got lost along the way. I heard that as well. Did you? Where did you hear that? <laughs> he <laughs> said that <I> can. <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah. It did get lost so it along the way. Sounds away. like you quite uh, adventure. <laughs> <benefit>. Yeah, yeah. So
7: <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure what's happened to the truck. Well, I think I know what's happened to the truck, but um, it's, I'm not really.
6: <laughs> what happens on the road trip stays <laughs> yeah. on the road trip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, talking of your cast, obviously you've sort of once again struck gold with Sasha. When you first saw her, was it a proper life? bulb moment, or were there actually other people already in contention to play Star?
7: I mean, when I saw her, she was on a beach at spring break in, yeah. in Panama. So she was with a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. She stood out completely. We'd had somebody else cast up until uh, three weeks before we were starting okay. filming, and we, we'd done a lot of work with her. But she, at the last minute, for personal reasons, couldn't do it. So I, I got on a plane and went down to Panama, and because um, it was spring break, and yeah. there's thousands of teenagers out, and we just sat on the beach. I was by far the oldest person on the beach <laughs> and I think day on about day three or something I saw Sasha and she was with a bunch of friends and they were messing around she stood out immediately she she disappeared for a little moment because she walked away and walked behind some deck chair thing right. and, and I thought I'd lost her and then we kind of ran after her and <laughs> spoke to her and she was about to go home the next day but we, we uh, persuaded her to stay down a few days because we had a couple of other people cast there so we were able to sort of try her out with them to see how things worked out because she'd never done any acting before and i had to see whether or not you know it was a huge as you can tell it's a huge part so yeah. she carries to, the
6: whole film. yeah yeah she? She, she really does <laughs> she totally does very beautifully yes bless her do you think you ever could go down the route where you completely cast your film conventionally rather than sort of is it just been coincidence that you've plucked these amazing people from obscurity as it were.
7: Uh, no, I always I deliberately you know, it's a deliberate decision. Yeah. It's a very it's a very uh, conscious decision. Um, so you know, and it's a lot of work. I mean, yeah. it would be so much easier to cast in a more traditional way. You know, we spent a lot of time looking for people, you know. I've spent a lot of hours in Walmart car parks sitting there in Walmart deck chairs watching people come and go because Walmart in America is one of the few places that people hang out especially in middle America because there's not many places where people hang out. Sure. Uh, one boy described it, he said it's like like the new, it's like a new village because he, he he told me he went there to pick up girls because it was the only place he could actually find girls <laughs> <laughs> over the frozen peas you know amazing
6: it's quite a meat cute isn't it but it's so
7: huge as well they are like little yeah. villages and they sell everything
6: so yeah you, you'd see people hanging out in there so yeah it's a good place to look <laughs> so talking of shopping markets or malls we first sort of see Shia properly when he's dancing to Rihanna and Calvin Harris yeah. in Kmart also fabulous <laughs> I've never been to a Kmart. Oh, right, <laughs> Music is obviously such a huge, important part of this film. Did the cast have? Well, I can imagine the cast had a lot of input with sort of songs they're adding along the way.
7: Yeah, it was, a, it was an evolving. Um, the soundtrack was an evolving thing because um, I, I'd written some things into the script, and some things evo- some things evolved from a lot of the a lot of the trap in it. You know, E40 and mm-hmm. those kind of things were coming from Kevin Gates. Were coming from them. They, right. That was all the stuff they were playing, and you know, playing all the time as well we used to have a kind of big battle in the van because we were there was me and Robbie and our sound recordist Rash in the yeah. back and we had a cable that went from the back right up to the front in plugged in the stereo so that we could play the songs that I had cleared so sure. that we could use them <laughs> and they were always unplugging it and putting on <laughs> their songs <laughs> And I was always yelling at them to plug our cable back in yeah. so that we could play our songs because the other ones were not cleared. <laughs> so yeah, we had a lot of battles with the music. But no, actually a lot of the music, a lot of the trap music anyway is very much coming from them. they got good taste. Oh my God, they got <laughs> good
6: taste. I absolutely love those songs in the film. A lot of people understandably think of your work as quintessentially British. So what was it like going off to America and making this? Did it feel a lot bigger or did it just feel like you were just doing it in another country? I feel like the film is really me, Mm
7: -hmm. even though it's set in another country. I used to think that when I finished film school, which I was at in America, I I came home because I thought, oh, I'm going to make films about what I know um, and and the world I know. So that, for me, meant coming home. But actually, I guess as I've made more films, I realise that you can be very you in all kinds of worlds. And the, the decisions you make can reflect you, some deep part of you, without it necessarily being exactly on the nose. Sure. So I actually think American Honey in some strange ways my most self, you know, it's my most self I've been, I think. I was very free with um, the decisions I made. I allowed, you know, I've heard a couple of people describe it as messy. I don't know if they mean that in a good or a bad way. But I wanted it to be lively. And I wanted there to be, you know, so if we were doing a scene and a dog would appear, I would include it. Or if they started dancing, I would let it happen. So I tried to bring the life in. In a way, I kind of added the mess of life. I tried to make it more like life. I think when we make films, we often get rid of all the life that there is, really, and we sort of simplify things and we make it, uh, we control life in order to make it more simple. Whereas actually, I wanted to put more life in. I wanted to make it kind of like that. And I think that's what people are reading
6: talking of lively shire is amazing in this he is so magnetic and it's such a visceral performance and he's been very outspoken about how much he loved your previous work so what was it like working with him and having him on board with you i love working with him he's he's a very lively character
7: man From the moment he arrived, I mean, I met him a long time ago. We met in a cafe in London when he was here. Okay. We, we got on really well. I talked to him about how I wanted to work. You know, I wanted to do chronologically, and and I was casting all these real people, and he was very. He was very excited about that, and we got on really well. And he had he has a lot of qualities that I was looking for for that for Jake. Yeah. And um, and when he turned up, um, because we we're always going to go all together and start the beginning and go right through to the end. He when he turned up, I remember he was. Um, we were all in the same motel actually it was two motels there was not enough room for everyone they were <laughs> next to each other okay so all the mag crew were in this one and we were all the crew were in this one yeah right next to each other and i remember going over there to see him and he he had not long arrived and he was in a motel room with about i don't know how many of the mag crew but he was i remember seeing him with them all and he just fitted right in straight away and i always thought it's going to be quite challenging for an actor who's done a lot you know because all these people that i've cast are very real yeah. so uh, he's going to have to be very real and he just fitted right in straight away and And I love their attitude towards him because they didn't give a monkey's he was you know sort of well known they, yeah. didn't, they didn't care they were straight off just you know
6: regular with him they just all hit it off very quickly and he also said before watching the film that he imagined it might be like a bit of a yearbook from that long journey you'd had mm. and the rest of the group sort of backed him up and said yeah it was a bit of a holiday <laughs> I'm sure that was the last thing that it was for you it wasn't a holiday <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the biggest did challenge did they say that I don't yeah. know i never heard them say that
7: <laughs> oh wow right be quietly wait till you? I see them well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well in a way you know, a lot of them were not on camera a lot of the time and we, we, always, we also tried to do like their days out and stuff like that so they did quite a lot of adventurous things in between, you know, when they weren't filming and stuff, so I'm sure it did seem like a holiday sometimes. Not to me, it didn't. No. What was the biggest challenge for you on the the shoot, Uh, would you say? Wow. I mean, every day was a challenge. Um, And because I'd cast so many people who hadn't acted before, it was was always uh, every scene was really quite tough. And so I always felt I had to be really on. (laughs) Which is, you know, you do anyway.
6: But um, the biggest challenge just every day really <laughs> <laughs> getting them out of bed how did were they all good at getting up in the morning because that's a lot of people not to...
7: always I have to say It's a <laughs> lot of chasing some people some days yeah there's a lot of partying as well so yes I mean I partied a bit but other people partied way harder than I did so those hangovers <laughs> were real <laughs> yeah yeah there was some serious partying going on I mean I, I you know probably I don't know half of it I have yeah. to say sometimes you know I'd walk through the motel and I would see a bunch running and I'd think oh what's going on you know <laughs> they Doing.
6: and um I, I, i'm sure i don't know half of it sure. actually you've been directing episodes of transparent which yes. is super exciting because that show's been making waves in america and has you know emmy success everything rightly so how has that been for you working on television i really loved it actually I, I
7: didn't for a long long time i always was very um wanting to just do my own work and 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 to write and do that and every time I finish a film I'm in a completely different place yeah. I've worked through quite a lot of things and I'm in a completely different place so I, I want to go on to figure out the next thing and then uh, Transparent came at the I think it came at the end of filming American Honey and Jill had been writing to me Jill Soloway mm-hmm. who's you know the uh, creator of Transparent had written to me and asked me about it and I watched it and loved it and thought, okay, why not? You know, why not give this a go? So I did, and I really loved it. Yeah. I loved it. The actors are amazing, and Jill's got a really good team of people. So I kind of landed into this kind of... You know, I try and create a sort of family crew type thing, and Jill's done that too. So they were very embracing of me, and even though I didn't really know anybody there at all, they were incredibly
6: embracing, and I just... I really enjoyed it. Can you imagine yourself ever writing and/or directing some sort of television anthology of, of sorts? Yeah, I think I can. I mean, I'm. I have sort of some. I have some slight conflicts
7: about this because I always believed in film and the yeah. images and the big screen you know that quote about a look in the eye can start a war I think was that Bresson or somebody who said that I love the idea that just one image can say so much you yeah. know just a look in the eye could start a war and I you know cinema that's what cinema does but the tv screens are getting a lot bigger now aren't they you want to keep your academy <laughs> ratio
6: with Robbie don't you yeah <laughs> I love
7: my academy ratio and actually I don't have a television I don't watch television so I, I just naturally stopped watching it about four years ago okay. and I haven't watched any since and so I wonder is it a okay to make television if you don't actually watch it but then you've got your computer so you watch it on the computer yeah. don't you so I'm not so sure I can draw a line or what where that boundary is or isn't but yeah I can see that it's really interesting for people to do television and develop characters over a long period of time sure. that is very attractive I think because in all those little detail because I always pack so much in my films I often think that they're spilling over and I need to give them more room so maybe it will be a place for me to give people I'm interested in more room
6: and finally when the credits started rolling on this, I felt like I'd been on a journey that I didn't realize I was taking. What is it that you want your audience to leave with after seeing this film? Oh, I would never say that <laughs> uh,
7: because because everyone's you know I want people. I leave space in the film for people to put themselves. I hope that's what I try to do. So I wouldn't explain. I would never tell you what I would want you to feel. Yeah, I have lots of feelings about that and what I would. I know inside what I would like to say to you, but I would. I wouldn't want to spoil it for anyone. I would like them have their own experience and, you know, not me, sort of tell them what to feel. Amazing.
6: <laughs> or we'll let them go and do that then. <laughs> Okay. Andrew Arnold, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, so it's movie reviews time now. Uh, so we're going to start off with The Girl on the Train, which is the adaptation of Paula Hawkins' uh, thriller which stars Emily Blunt, Luke Evans, Rebecca Ferguson, not the X Factor one, the other one. Uh, and we heard all about with Luke
2: Evans, but now we're going to hear about it from... Jimbo. So, this is the adaptation of Paula Hawkins' book, the one that everyone on trains weirdly was reading last year yeah. um, and this one stars Emily Blunt as uh, a divorced uh, alcoholic called Rachel who is not in the best mental state uh, and who having been fired from her job rides the train to and from New York. Obviously the uh, the book is set in the UK so it's been transplanted across the, across the pond um, and she views the people in a specific house that she passes on the train every day and sort of develops a fantasy about who they are and what their life is in her mind. Now, one morning uh, the one the girl that she views in this house disappears and she becomes embroiled in the investigation, principally by pretending to her husband that she was a friend of the missing girl. It's all slightly convoluted. Um, which is really this in a nutshell. It's... It's kind of a story of broken people leaving tragic, leading tragic lives and being a little bit unhappy. And all the way through that kind of miasma of misery, you're trying to determine what on earth is going on. Uh, so someone's gone missing. They may or may not be dead. She may or may not know them. She may or may not be stalking her ex-husband. He may or may not be a very unpleasant person. It's a very, very odd sort of mix of sort of threads, uh, which eventually become unraveled with a big reveal at the end. It has been compared perhaps a little bit reductively to kind of the new Gone Girl. Yeah. Um, I guess because it's kind of not quite what it seems and perhaps because the principal characters are all quite loathsome. Um, I didn't wildly enjoy this. I must admit the story I don't think is particularly well structured. I don't think the reveal at the end gives you the payoff that you need. And while the performances I thought were very, very strong you can't root for anyone. I thought they were all really quite unpleasant people and... It's, it's very hard to kind of find a thread of sympathy for mm. any of them, uh, and it gets to the end, and it, you almost don't really care. I think by that point, <laughs> I know uh, Johnny Paul, who reviewed this film. I believe was it Johnny who did the review for this? Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Um, his uh, one of his main issues is he doesn't believe it quite works in the New York setting, simply by virtue of the fact that <laughs> their train lines don't quite like the way ours do, um, and he might well have a point. It does seem a slightly odd setup in this case. Uh, where's she coming in from? Do you remember?
1: In uh, in the book, isn't it Ashbury or something? It's a fictional town in the book.
2: Yeah, and she's taking the train into uh,
1: London. Just taking the Houston? train to London. Okay, uh,
2: so the okay, fine, southern. Well, the whole thing would just be her, presumably, stuck in a tunnel while everyone's <laughs> struck. But uh, there you go. So, what did you what did you make of this one?
1: Well, I think it's it's very difficult to make a film about and based on a story with an unreliable narrator because mm. she is alcoholic. She does have these blackouts. You don't. She doesn't know. What's going on mm. during those times? And and so it's it's difficult to know what to trust, what to not trust, how much to sympathize with her, how much to engage with her. Because you're sort of you're holding yourself back a little bit because you're like, well, I don't know if I should really trust her. She seems a bit odd. Um, and you're, it's the same thing you said. Yeah, it's it's it, you don't know who to root for. Um a lot of the time and so yeah it loses some of the impact that I think the book had because um, I think you had a little bit more room in the book to, to kind of go along with her and say okay I'm not quite sure about this woman but let's see where we're going with this and I think in in on film it's a little bit harder to do that strangely
2: mm. I, I haven't read the book so I don't know quite how to draw quite how they sort of changed it in terms of how you feel about the characters I remember from Gone Girl I thought the smartest thing and it might have been unintentional that they did for the film as they made Ben Affleck's character slightly slightly mm. more appealing than he is in the books so in the book he is a an absolute ass from top to bottom as is she and you have that similar problem it's a very good book but they are both loathsome. and I think in the film at least he comes across as, across as misguided and slightly callous but not a bad person yeah whereas in this they're all you know certainly the way they're set up from the beginning is they're all pretty unpleasant yeah So we gave this film two stars, which is not a recommendation. Uh, It's one of those ones I'd probably say if you're banging around town, you don't have anything else to see and you quite fancy it, go and watch it just because it's a film people will be talking about. But uh, it's not hugely worthy of your time, unfortunately.
0: Okay, so then two stars for The Girl on the Train. And next up is one of the year's true one-offs. It is The Greasy Strangler. Uh, If you like grease and you like stranglings, my word... This is the movie for you. Uh, Helen, you've got the task of explaining this one. Well done.
1: Uh, yeah, Greasy Strength. This is uh, this is a film that uh, Empire's editor, Terry White, went nuts about. And I can absolutely see why, because it's unlike anything else out there. I am very glad that I have seen it, and I look forward to never, ever, ever seeing it again, <laughs> ever. Um, because it is, it is not... Pleasant. This is not uh, a feel-good, heartwarming film. Um, well, maybe it is for Terry, I don't know. But it's about uh, a very dysfunctional father and son, uh, both grown men, more than grown men. Uh, and they're a little bit weird. They make a, a living, they scrape by at the sort of the bottom of the rung in L.A., um, giving tours of what they claim are old uh, locations key to the disco era um, you know people mm. in places where stars once drank once recorded once whatever else uh, one is not entirely sure that they're accurate in these tours but you know give them benefit of the doubt and all that um, problems arise when the son of the of this odd couple uh, falls in love with a woman called Janet um, who's an unlikely uh, spanner in the works basically and um, and uh, Big Ronnie Who's the father of the pair Played by Michael St. Michaels uh, Takes takes exception to this relationship Thinks that his relationship With uh, Big Braden His son Will be put under threat uh, and, uh, and throws his own spanner In the works Rumbling on in the background Of all this Is that there have been A series of murders And uh, by a greasy strangler uh, And Big Ronnie keeps You know telling people that really he's not the greasy strangler you probably think he is but he, he's not the greasy strangler well it's not too much of a spoiler to say he is the greasy strangler <laughs> uh, and, and his murders are bizarre and and unpleasant and, and really grotesque but in a very kind of cartoonish weird way this is a film full of grease to the point where you'll never want to eat sausages again it is a full is a a picture full of full frontal nudity uh, with some of the most extraordinary prosthetics you will ever see in your life Uh, and uh, and it's it is hilarious and weird and and gory and disturbing and brilliant and yes it's, it is great we gave it four stars and I never ever ever want to see it again now thank you.
0: And that is a recommendation. <laughs> okay then so four stars for the Greasy Strangler it is something that you need to see I would say. Uh, next up is Supersonic which is a documentary about Oasis and those pesky Gallagher brothers you just want to get them together in a headlock and t- sort it out you guys what's this one about is it good? What's happening?
1: So, yeah, Supersonic. I'm not the world's biggest Oasis fan, although I listened to them back in the day because you had to. You had no choice. They were everywhere. Um, But this film made me feel very warm and fuzzy towards them and very nostalgic for sort of their heyday about 20 years ago. Um, It's a very affectionate, but I think quite fair look at the band. They were never one to sort of cover up their own faults and failings. And this is extremely honest about the fact that they frequently failed... Um, certainly maybe not musically but in every <laughs> other sense uh, and, and, uh, and had com- just complete man-made disasters all over the place um, during their kind of rise to the top and indeed their sort of tenure at it.
2: It's a good one. This was a weird one for me. I am not only not someone who was an Oasis fan, I actively didn't like them in the 90s. I just didn't like them. The whole Britpop scene, frankly, passed me by. Um, And I got dragged along to this by Johnny uh, and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, And weirdly, have been listening to Oasis since seeing it, which is bizarre, and only a few decades too late. Um, But it's really nice. It's really affectionate. It's very, very... Accessy, which I found Mm. astonishing. You know, it's lots of obviously interviews with the Gallagher's and indeed their mum Peggy. Uh, But there's footage from you know before the band was together. There's God, there's footage of Peggy on the phone to them. You know, back when they were sort of living in the council estate. Uh, So there's lots of stuff. You really feel that you get into their lives and get an understanding of who they are. And everyone knows the brothers don't get on, and everyone kind of you know sees them fight. But I think this gives you a real sense of who they are as people and maybe why there is such a kind of a, a sort of a love-hate relationship between the two of them it's quite a focused documentary so it's not the sort of rise and fall of Oasis it's the rise of Oasis mm-hmm. so it starts from before uh, the band is together and it kind of covers definitely maybe and then I guess what's the story Morning Glory and it, it culminates at that at huge gig yeah. at Nebworth uh, which is a phenomenon where they're coming by helicopter the massive crowd at like the biggest gig ever in the UK Um so it's a really triumphant, really triumphant sort of documentary. And it leaves you feeling, it leaves you you really leave on a high. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. You
1: actually do. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah I, I really, really recommend it. I mean, they they don't come across perhaps the most likable people. Um,
1: they frequently say they're the best band in the world. I mean, there is yeah. no false modesty or indeed modesty here yeah. at all. But they're so funny that they kind of get away with it. And actually, one of the scenes that really stuck in my mind was showing how they recorded so basically, Noel would play the melody once or maybe twice. Yeah. Liam would just sing it and then he'd go to the pub. Like that was it. He would listen to it once or twice, sing it. And go to the pub. There was there was no faffing about. It. There was no. I mean, and he just those most of those performances were almost one take, it's, which is phenomenal.
2: It is astonishing because people think because Noel wrote the songs and did the music that he's a talented one. But to be fair to Liam, you know that takes some skill to do. Yeah, and he. I mean, it's funny the way he describes his uh, his position in the band. He's like uh, Noel writes the music, and I'll just be standing here looking cool as fuck. Yeah. Like, that's basically what he saw his role was.
1: And I think there actually uh, there is a lot of kind of mutual. Respect in in what they say about each other, which is kind of nice, even though they are still estranged. And they uh, weren't, but
2: they they, they weren't, weren't. They were talking again uh, when they were started doing <laughs> for um, publicity for this film, and now they're not again. Oh, so well. it's all all falling apart. Yeah,
1: but but it is it is it's kind of nice to hear them occasionally acknowledge what the other one's good at, which yeah. is kind of good. But honestly, it's I just really enjoyed this, and it and it made me call up friends from school and sort of reminisce and. Yeah, just brought me back a bit, you know, which probably just ages us. But yeah. if you're a millennial listening to this, and if so, why? We're all very old. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I think it might kind of, yeah, it might be, it might, you know, be a nice introduction to what life was like in the 90s, yeah. mum and dad.
2: If, if you liked Oasis, watch it. If you didn't and were alive in the 90s, watch it anyway. So four stars then for Supersonic. That's right. We're up for it. Mad for it. Supersonic. <laughs> <laughs> yes Yes we are When
0: improv goes wrong uh, Four stars for that one And then next up We have Warn Everyone John Michael McDonough's Latest movie uh, Which breaks his run Of five star movies But just about Just about The Guard was five Cavalry was five And now Warn Everyone is No wait don't spoil it But it does star Alexander Skarsgård And Michael Peña Off last week's podcast They finally left the booth <laughs> They tried to take the place over It was, it was, it was anarchy uh, And Helen will explain All about that movie
1: Yeah, so War on Everyone. This uh, screened, obviously, at Empire Live. Some of you may well have seen it there. Um, It's basically the story of uh, two corrupt cops, uh, Terry, who's Alexander Skarsgård, and Bob, Michael Pena, who have a very nice nice lifestyle because what they do is they just frame dodgy criminal types, uh, steal narcotics, sell them for themselves, and uh, have a perfectly nice life. The problem is that... um, I mean we've put it in the review an evil British lord uh, of course it is I mean who else could it be Uh, played by Theo James pings on their radar and they get in way 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 over their heads this guy is thoroughly nasty Uh, We're, you know just on a whole other level and that uh, that causes some serious problem for the 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 rather what's the word Um, misanthropic pair uh, basically Uh, so yeah he couldn't be worse really very 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 debauched indeed. It's not as good as uh, John Michael McDonough's previous films. Uh, mm. You do feel the lack of a Brendan Gleason character. Um, you always do, really, if he isn't in a film.
2: In like, any film. In any film. Yeah. Like,
1: it's like, you know what? This would be better with Brendan Gleason. Slight sidetrack here. Yeah.
2: Ben- Brendan Gleason's beard in Calvary.
1: One of the greatest things on earth. Is that
2: actually his facial hair? Because I read recently that it was a prosthetic beard, like no. it was, a, it was a, a chin wig. And it just, it destroyed me. It's the most glorious bit of facial hair I've ever seen.
1: He had it on the publicity tour.
2: Then let's hope it was a lie.
1: And maybe it was just like, maybe it was like lash inserts on a L'Oreal advert. Perhaps, Allegedly, it was a weave. back in the day before that became illegal. <laughs> <laughs> he had, he had extension, beard extensions. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, so, yeah, so there are some really funny. Bits in this mostly when nothing's going on and the two of them are just kind of tooling around town, sort of shooting the shit, um, talking about if you hit a mime, does he make a noise? That kind of you know, that kind of burning philosophical question. Obviously, they find out. Um, uh, they have an ongoing feud with a SWAT team, which is quite amusing. Uh, there's a couple of like clever little moments, you know, and clever little kind of twists on stuff we've seen before. But too often it kind of goes for just cop movie cliches you know there's a bit in a strip club for god's sake are we still going to strip clubs is Is that still necessary to solve a crime um you know it just it, it feels sometimes a little bit more tired than you kind of want it to be and sometimes a little bit more less funny than you want it to be um but when it is sort of firing on all cylinders it's it's really fun so uh yeah i mean nick's called it a thinking person's bad boys which is Perhaps generous, but not not wrong. Um, he's given it four stars. So, yeah, that is a recommendation.
0: And also out this week is Louis Theroux's uh, My Scientology movie, uh, which is a documentary about Scientology featuring Louis Theroux. Uh, very, very good stuff, especially if you're Louis Theroux completist and frankly, who isn't? Three stars for that one. And then we have Matthew McConaughey in the rather disappointing Civil War drama, The Free State of Jones, which we gave two stars to. Uh, And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, I've no idea because I didn't look at the board. We have a board in the office and on that board is written (laughs) the names of who the next guests are going to be. And I glanced at it before I came in here and nothing went into my head. I do know George Takei, Mr. Sulu himself, because I spoke to him for the podcast. He will be in a future podcast either next week's or the week after. Get ready for that. (gasps) It's explosive. Wow. You've never seen a man promote a box set like this before. I, I, I swear it's going to be, it's going to rock your socks. Um, so maybe George Decay, We'll see. But until then, it is goodbye from James. Bye-bye. It's
3: goodbye from Helen. Totally. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off, Dan. They stand, innit? <laughs> to practice my accent. Blending seamlessly with the locals, innit? You sound Governor. exactly like a member of Oasis. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Up for it. Mad for it. Nebworth. See you next week, sunshine. that was good oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) see you next week bye